Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show I'm coming in hot today I feel like I say that a lot right I always come in hot What am I saying But today A little extra A little extra hotness On your tacos <laughs> I'm feeling good man How's everybody doing Everybody feeling good Feeling great we got a uh, listen. We had a crazy, um, crazy weekend in college football. Um, actually, I was coming in here because I was gonna uh, I was gonna rage out um, because some some debates started to rise up after the weekend that uh, maybe Michigan should jump Ohio State in the rankings, and I was gonna rage out. But I'm not gonna do that because it didn't happen. Uh, we'll get into the rankings a little bit later. But um. Not so much that maybe they don't deserve to be, but more like kind of following along the theme of like the last two weeks for me, which has been like, what's the point? Like, why are we posturing? At the end of the day, what's the end game? What's the goal or whatever? Like, let's do that. Let's stop pretending for a moment's sake. Got some good topics today. Let's intro this thing. Welcome back, Cyber Family. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I am your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally! So like I said, man, uh, it was a great weekend of college football. Uh, I am I am here. I am here to uh, demand uh, some respect be put on my picks. Uh, the season hasn't been great. Hasn't been great, if we're being honest. But this weekend, I 100% uh, got it right. 7-3 <laughs> and three weekend. My record is uh, going up and up and up and up. This weekend, though, may be a little rough. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's start with some quick hits. Quick hits. Quick hits. So, yeah, so like I said, this weekend in college football was uh, excellent. Excellent. Um... I, look, great games all around, but the one I want to highlight on, actually two, two, at three. <laughs> uh, the first one is Georgia versus Tennessee. Now, here's what happened. Tennessee beat Alabama. Alabama has the reputation and has the prestige of being the dominant college football team of the last decade. Maybe yeah, for, since for 15 years, since Nick Saban's been there, they've been top of the class. They've been the ones, right? So Tennessee comes in, they're riding high, they're putting up a bunch of points. Boom, they take down Alabama, right? And everyone says, oh, Tennessee's for real. Well, there was a team by the name of Georgia that was sitting out there that also beat Alabama last time they played. Uh, coming off a national championship, hasn't lost the game. And for no reason should they have been taken out of the number one spot. So me, being the intellectual the intellectual that I am, I thought, yeah, there's levels, okay? Georgia is clearly head and shoulders above everybody else in college football. If you're asking me who I bet my money on, I bet Georgia wins the national title again. As much as I love Ohio State, if Ohio State has to play Georgia, I'm scared. Georgia is elite talent, elite coaching. They got the dogs. They got the attitude. They got the athletes. Look, top of the class, right? 
Tennessee rolls in and feeling good about themselves and the national media is like, yeah, I think this is, you know, Tennessee, blah, 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 blah. And Georgia showed there's levels. Okay. Tennessee's good. I like Tennessee. Tennessee is good. But look, Georgia's on a different level. And just because you beat Alabama doesn't mean that you're on the level of even Alabama or Georgia because Georgia, I think, has stepped over Alabama to be that top dog now. For the next 10 years, I think Georgia is going to be that school that's like the measuring the bar for everybody else. So Tennessee got put in their place. Speaking of Alabama, Alabama then rolls to LSU again. I picked LSU to beat Alabama just because I think Alabama has been so good. And what they do is they are excellent at recruiting. But every couple years when they have a massive draft class and they lose a bunch of pro ready guys, they have to kind of rebuild. And even though their draft, their uh, their recruiting class is good, it takes a year before for guys to play and kind of get their feet wet and kind of get into the rhythm of it or whatever. So every three, four years, there's a year where they're kind of down and look two losses even three losses is not down for most schools but for Alabama that's a down year they are in one of those years where it doesn't look the same they're not as as dominant like they got flaws like ah, doesn't quite look like Alabama I'm not gonna freak out but I saw that I recognized that and LSU look good team athletic quarterback guy that can make plays it was gonna be tough a night game on the road for Alabama it's gonna be tough and that's why I picked LSU and I think what you saw in that game was hey Tennessee maybe you overreacted to the win versus Alabama now I get it they've been dominating you you finally won but in reality you're still not on that level yet because look college football is about recruiting coaching great have a great coach cool but if you don't have recruits it doesn't matter perfect example is look at brian kelly at notre dame he's gonna be far more successful at lsu than he ever was at notre dame because he can get the recruits at lsu even at notre dame they were good but they hit the ceiling they were never gonna beat any of the top elite teams in college football because they don't have the guys because they can't recruit that well So Tennessee, you don't have the players to compete with those teams consistently. So you had your little bump, you had your run, whatever, and then you got put in your place. Look, again, like I said, Tennessee is good. Don't get me wrong. Tennessee is good. They deserve to be in the top five or six teams in the country. But Georgia took back their rightful number one spot. Um, Secondly, let's talk about Clemson versus Notre Dame. Another game that I called right. Give me my flowers. I picked Notre Dame to beat Clemson, and I've been saying it all year. Clemson looks off. Clemson is there to be had. The right team is going to get them. They they play a really good team. They're going to get them. I also said that Marcus Freeman needed a signature win to prove like that he still got the guys, that the, the locker room is still responding to him, that he could still get it done, that he could coach his guys up. And I just felt like this was a game that was important to them, and this was a game where Clemson's flaws are going to come out to like. And they did. And that's exactly what happened. Notre Dame played up to the level of competition. Like I said, maybe they're a team that just plays up or down to their competition right now. They needed a statement win for the coach and Clemson's there to be had. I think that's what's going to happen. I think Clemson is there to be had. I think Clemson is off. And I think the biggest reason why is I think the quarterback. I think DJ Ungalele, Ugalele. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, I swear. All right. I just, I've heard it multiple different ways. I think DJ is one of those guys who is immensely talented, but also knows that he's talented and kind of relies on that talent instead of like really locking in and doing the work. 
and I'm not trying to question how hard he works, but what I'm saying is there's certain guys we talked I talked about it last year. Um what's the dude's name? Ah, ah, Spencer Rattler was another guy who I said is athletically arrogant, which means he's super talented, like unbelievably talented, but kind of walks around with this, yeah, I got it, I got it, and and plays with that level of arrogance where it's like, no, 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 that's not going to work. And that's exactly what I see in DJ. I see him as a guy who's immensely talented, great size, great arm, unbelievable arm, but kind of just doesn't pay attention to the little things and doesn't do all the little things to make himself great and just relies on that talent to carry him through and in college football to be honest with you that's gonna work most days for Clemson because they're not gonna play great teams all the time their schedule is kind of loaded with a bunch of crumb bums but when you go against a team like Notre Dame which is well coached which is stuck in their ways here's what we do we play really tough defense we have a great defensive front it's going to make it tough for you, man. And uh, and and that's what happened. And so you saw all of Clemson's flaws exposed right there on national TV. Prime time. They got smoked. Moving on to the NFL. Uh, three things that stuck out this week that I want to touch on real quick. Number one, Jets and Lions. Congratulations. You guys got your coach. I know I, look, when you watch the Jets and when you watch the Lions, the number one thing that you notice is those teams play hard. Those teams might lose, but that's based on talent or that's based on, you know, you made a mistake here or there. But those teams play hard. And I think that those teams are both well coached. And I think that Dan Campbell in Detroit deserves a lot of credit. I think he's got that team playing hard. I think uh, Robert Sala in, in New York for the Jets deserves credit. He's got that team playing hard. He's got them overachieving. And not just saying it because they won. Like, yeah, they beat Buffalo. And yeah, who who's, who pulled to pick that? I didn't. I thought Buffalo would cover the, the ginormous spread. But what you saw was that they play hard. And if you watch them all year, consistently, they're playing hard. Right? So what, what I think is you have the right coach. You have the coach who is setting the right tone, the right attitude, the right, you know, everything. And this isn't year one for either one of them. So what you got is you got these guys getting the team, playing the way they need to. Now, if you start to draft, you get some dogs in there. Those are going to be two good teams. And you got a chance. And you got to be excited about the lines. Look, I know you guys aren't noticing, but hey, Jared Goff's having a pretty damn good year. You might, you might want to take notice. I know they're not winning, so whatever, nobody cares. But him personally, the way he's playing, he's doing a pretty good job this year. On the flip side of that, is the Raiders and look there's something going on uh in Vegas the Raiders are dog dude now I know the national media will talk about well whose fault is it why blah 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 and I know some fans will probably immediately turn to Derek Carr I know some fans will turn to the GM some fans are going to turn to the coach here's what I'm going to say Josh McDaniels needs to go and he needs to go right now he needs to go right now Josh McDaniels is a guy who's living off reputation. He has two reputations. Number one, winning championships with the Patriots and Tom Brady. And number two, drafting Tim Tebow in the first round when not a single other team in the NFL was going to draft him in the first five. That's his reputation. As a head coach, Josh McDaniels is 13 and 23. What are you doing? It's it, The team doesn't look good. It's not like you're losing games. Like, for example, the Lions are losing games. Probably have the same record, right? 
But when you watch the Lions play, you don't feel like this is a poorly coached team. You don't feel like, ah, oh, this team, you know, they need a better coach. You feel like they're losing because, I don't know, you blame Jared Goff, blame the defense isn't really up to par. They don't have the guys. Like, whatever it is you want to blame, but you can't blame that they look poorly coached, okay? But the Raiders, the Raiders look like they have no way. They got no identity. What do they do? Are they a running team? Are they a passing team? Are they a defensive team or offensive team? Like special teams? Like what are they doing? They're just, it's just, it looks terrible on all fronts. And I think the first thing you have to do is you have to let that coach go. Get rid of him. Josh McDaniels gets recycled and you bring him in because you think he's this offensive genius. But what has he done to call him an offensive genius? Even in New England, New England was never known as a great offense. Never. And the only time they were, actually, I won't say that. They were, and that was in 2007 when they went undefeated, and Randy Moss set the record for touchdown catches. What do you expect? I don't even know if Josh McDaniels was there at that point. But since then, they've always been more of a short pass, quick, get the ball out, work your way methodically up the field, whatever type of team. So what has he done? He's, he's rode the coattails of Bill Belichick and that great defense and the defense they had. He rode the coattails of Tom Brady. He got a coaching opportunity when he went to Denver, spent two years in Denver and got fired because it was terrible. It wasn't just bad. It was terrible. And then he goes back to be the coordinator. He ends up, you know, doing some shady business with Detroit where he accepts the job. And then last minute says, no, nah, never mind. I'm going to go back to New England. And it's like, eh, you never get a job again. And then here come the Raiders being like, oh, maybe we can get this offensive genius on our staff. It's like, yo, he's not a genius. He might. Not, he's not a great head coach. Like, that's fact. That's proven now. You've had four seasons. Okay. Dude, it's over. It's over. Fire him. Move on. Find a guy that's going to set a culture in Vegas and set a direction and a clear vision for your team. That's what you need. Okay? Washington. <laughs> Look, I'm like a, I'm like a self-help coach now. Washington. Taylor Heineke is your quarterback for the foreseeable future and until you have a clear-cut better option. That is the guy. Look, He's good enough. He's good enough to keep you in games. He's good enough to win a couple games. Is he good enough to win a Super Bowl? I don't know. Probably not good enough to carry you to a Super Bowl. But either way, either way, he's still good enough to say, hey, look, we're, we're, we don't need to get rid of him. Stop trying to replace the guy. If you don't have an obvious better option now look if you're in the draft and you got you know you're picking number one or number two and you got your selection of all the quarterbacks if you want to throw a flyer out there on a cj stroud bring him in fine i got no problem with that but the whole carson wentz thing that get him out of here bad move he wasn't clearly better than taylor heineke he hasn't accomplished more than taylor heineke keep your guy because they respond to him his attitude demeanor that's what that team responds to they love the guy Ride it out, ride with them unless you got a better option. And I don't mean what you think could be better. I mean a better option. The last thing I want to touch on is watching Malik Willis against uh, against the Chiefs was abysmal. Okay, he looked terrible. And here's what I'm going to say. Going into the draft, I know there was a lot of hype about Malik Willis. And I kept saying, ah, I don't get it. Arm talent cool he's got it but outside of that nothing and as i'm watching that game i had a lot of uh callbacks to tim tebow and the reason why i say that is because tim tebow tim tebow was a good football player 
right? And as a quarterback, he could do some things. The game might be close. Maybe he makes one throw, but you knew you couldn't rely on him. The dude completed five passes, none to a receiver, okay? I think at one point going into overtime, it was he was five of 15. They, 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 you couldn't, he, he was, you, like, I can't even speak. I'm speechless at how it was like, oh, no, he, he can't do anything. We don't want him doing anything. We don't trust him to do anything. We're not putting it in his hands. Like, we, no, no way. And, uh, and my thought was, hmm, that's weird. There's nothing that he does that excites me. There's nothing that he does watching him play. There's no flashes. As bad as Justin Fields has been at times, there's always at least once or twice a game where he does something or makes a throw that makes you say, oh, okay, okay, hold on, wait a second. And if you look at the last couple weeks for Justin Fields, he's starting to make you think, you know what, maybe he's starting to put it together. And what I think is happening exactly what I said before, I think he's just starting to play football. I think he's starting to just be like, nah, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to go out there and play and let my instincts and my ability take over and stop trying to be so precise or perfect. I'm just going to go play. And so I applaud the guy. But with Malik Willis, what do you see? What do you see either in preseason or in the games that he's played this year? I think he's appeared in two games, started one. What have you seen that makes you say like, oh, yeah, he could be the guy? I just don't think he is. I think it was a bad draft class. I think he was. He probably had the best arm. But again, like there wasn't slim pickings. Do you know what I mean? It's just just, it's all bad. So if you're if you're the Titans, I, I don't think he's better than Tannehill. And I don't think you move off Tannehill unless you have to. And if you're moving off Tannehill, I don't think Malik Willis is your guy. I think he's probably a career backup, probably out of the league in three or four years. I honestly think he is a Tim Tebow with more arm talent. (laughs) And I know you're saying, well, if Tim Tebow had more arm talent, he'd still be in the league. What I mean is Tim Tebow couldn't throw at all, right? Like his his arm was like, ah, his release was wacky. His velocity was off. Like he was completely inaccurate. Malik Willis is a little better than that. But at the end of the day, I still think you have to play them both the same way. You have to keep them in the pocket. Um, and if you're uh, um, on the, if you're on, on their side, if you're a coach, you have to say, well, we can't really put the ball in his hands. He's not going to be the guy that could like light it up. On the other side of the field, you saw Mahomes throw it, what, 68 times? Like That's a guy you can put the ball in his hands and say, go ahead and throw it, win us the game. And he can. Malik Willis, not that guy. That's it for quick kids. Went a little long today, huh? Man. So I'm watching um I'm watching NFL and uh the Cowboys were on a bye week. And those are always as a fan, those are always some of the worst weeks, right? Personally. Because you want to watch your team play, you want to be invested, and it's hard to be invested in uh in other teams because it really doesn't matter, right? Win or lose, it doesn't matter. It's not your team, so you're not that invested. And oddly enough, the Giants were also on a bye week so the the one team whom I like to root against the most at this point because of a personal bet I have with my best friend they were on a bye week as well so I had nothing like to really deeply invest myself into so I just was able to watch games this week and uh just chill right there's nothing on the line there's no stakes like who cares but what I noticed when I was watching the Jets and the Bills, first of all, the first interception on the first drive that Josh Allen threw was one of the laziest interceptions I've ever seen thrown. He was rolling out to the right. He had a guy open for a second. The defender was right there. And it looked like he kind of just like, nah, 
just meh here and just lofted it over there and the defender just intercepted it and it was like I don't even understand what he was doing. It was the weirdest thing. And next thing I noticed was, is anybody impressed with the Jets? And again, I think this is a lot of like what happens with the Giants. Where I kept saying, like, I know they're winning. And I know they're getting credit for winning. And I know people will are thinking like, oh, this team's pretty good based off the record. But when you watch them play, are you actually impressed? And then I started saying... As I was watching the game, I was like, the Jets are the same team as the Giants. They're the same team. They are exactly the same. And I'm like, nah, it's probably nothing. It's a little, who cares? Like, I'm, I'm probably overthinking it. But then I went and I said, let me look at the numbers. And the Jets are averaging 21.8 points a game. Cool. The Giants are averaging 20.4. Huh, that's really close. The Jets are giving up an average of 19.6 points per game. The Giants? They're giving up 19.6 points a game. Exactly the same. The Jets, on average, will put up 351.8 yards a game. The Giants put up 337.8. And the Jets give up 329.2. The Giants give up 356.5. So in that, what you see is these teams are oddly the same. They both have a newer coach. The Giants have a first. This is his first year as the head coach. The Jets, this is his second, I believe. But they're the same. They're built the same. The idea is the same. Hey, our quarterback's inconsistent. Not really not really there yet. Let's kind of not put too much on the shoulders. Let's rely on the run game. Um, when we do pass it, let's get it out quick. Both quarterbacks are athletic. Um, now, look, I would take Danny Dimes over Zach Wilson in terms of what they're doing now. As far as talent, Zach Wilson's far superior talent to Danny Dimes. But Daniel Jones right now is playing better. He's more reliable, more steady, more consistent, you know, all that. But they're very close. Like, for example, if you're grading... Zach Wilson is 70. Daniel Jones is like a 75. Like they're very close. They're not, one's not, like Daniel Jones is not far greater than Zach Wilson. It's a little better. But they both want to rely on their defense and timely turnovers and things like that. And they're very similar. So my question would be, as I rag on the Giants for saying, yeah, they're winning, but they're not very impressive. And I don't think they're really going to go anywhere. I know there's a lot of hype now this week about the Jets because they're 6-3 and three and they just took out the Bills and they're competing for first place in the division. And oh my God, how could they make a run? I know all that. But what I would say is when you watch them play, are you impressed? And the answer has to be no. This has to be the first year in my life watching football that I'm seeing so many teams play and win, but feeling like nobody's that good. And perhaps that is the parody that the NFL wants, where all of these teams look like oddly the same. Like, look, I'm a Cowboys fan, uh, and I'll be the first one to tell you, yeah, they're winning, but like, I don't, you know, they're not they're not that good. <laughs> like, they got massive major flaws. Even the Eagles who are undefeated, I look at and say, not impressed. Not impressed. 
Even the Bills, who were like the talk of the town, the top team, like, man, not impressed. Look, Vikings, seven and one. Is anybody buying into the Vikings? Or are you kind of like, nah, like they, they could be had. And I think maybe this might be the first year where you have real life parity. Where like literally any team could beat any other team and all of them are right in line with each other. I don't know. I, 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 may, I may have just wasted your time. <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting that the Jets and the Giants, both in New York, are like the exact same team. It's wild. What I want to talk about now is I want to touch on some uh, NBA topics. Um, so last week, uh, it was a big Kyrie Irving drama um, with the anti-Semitic post and documentary that he posted about. He was suspended. And I, I was going to talk about it. But to be honest with you, it, it felt like an issue that was a lot deeper than just basketball. And I felt like I didn't want to take my sports show, which is designed and created to have fun just arguing about sports and stuff that's not really that important. And so I'm very selective about when I want to talk about a real issue. And this one for me was a non-issue. You posted something. Um, you got some backlash for it. You got people coming out openly telling you this is... This is a mistake. You shouldn't have done this. And he doubled down on it like ah, freedom of speech. Blah, blah, blah. Like all the nonsense he does. Look, Kyrie's a little bit of a dope, right? Kyrie's a young guy in 2022 who misunderstands. Like, you know, I talked about it a lot last year when I said, when we talk about the GOAT discussion and we talk about, uh, we talk about how this generation is so hungry to say that they were a part of something that they just uh, LeBron's the goat. And it's like, come on, like, stop. Or like, oh, this is the greatest game ever. It's like, stop. Kyrie's one of those guys who I think really. I just think he has a lot of ideas. I think he ingests a lot of information. I think he's a very uh, he's a guy that just loves reading, learning and going through all that stuff. So I feel like sometimes it comes across as a holier than thou complex. Like he comes across almost like he feels like he's so enlightened and everyone else around him is peasants. And he's like on this higher level of consciousness. And so when he was getting that backlash, uh, the response should have just been, hold on my bad. I didn't realize when I was posting this that it was going to be received this way. That was not my intention. And then either state your intention or just leave it at, I'm sorry, delete the post, whatever. But instead, his brain went to, well, hold on now. We need to blah, 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 brother. And it's like, hold up, bro. The media is asking you straight questions. And you're trying to answer them in a way that's almost like, I'm not going to give you an answer. But I'm going to respond in a way that when you think about it, like almost like he was trying to answer like he was smarter than he is. And it's like, dude, we don't need like I can't be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. Like, bro, I get what you're saying, but just say no. Like, why are you making it harder for yourself? Now, look, the vaccine stuff, I I personally felt like if you don't want the vaccine, that's fine. But you can't get mad at everybody else. When the mandates come down that you don't agree with, because either get with the mandates and do what you got to do to play or don't see, he made a stance on the vaccine. And look, we could argue about whether or not he was right or wrong. 
I think he was right because it's everyone's personal choice to do what they feel is best. If he honestly felt like he didn't need to get a vaccine or whatever in order to be safe and protected, then fine. Because isn't that what it was for anyway, to protect us? So if you don't want that protection, that's fine. But then when the NBA comes out and says, well, we're abiding by these rules and the state comes out and says, if you're not vaccinated, you can't participate. You can't then try to rally against the mandate or the rules. You have to say, oh, okay, well, that's the choice I made. I got to live with it. Right. So that's one thing. But in this case, bro, you're making it harder for yourself. So he got suspended five games without pay. And the Nets wrote out a list of like six things that are mandatory that he has to do before they will allow him to come back and play. And to be honest with you, number one, when I saw the list, I thought this is this is garbage. This is garbage. And I was mad. And I said, yo, this this is too far. This is too much. Right. It just didn't feel right to me. Um, It just felt like you guys are going you guys are taking it too far. And it bothered me. Um, let me see. I'll pull it up. So here's what he has to do. Um, so he has to complete, he has to apologize and condemn the movie, which I'm pretty sure he did. There is, he has to make a $500,000 donation to anti-hate causes. He has to go through sensitivity training, anti-Semitic training, meet with ADL and Jewish leaders, meet with Joe Psy to demonstrate an understanding. Now, to me, that all seems like, hold on, man. You can't, number one, you can't force somebody to make a donation, right? Like, that that seems excessive. Like, well, now, hey, now since you did this, well, you better blah, blah, blah. Like, I just feel like, all right, I know, I know he, he did something wrong. I know he did something stupid. I agree. I think tweeting it out was stupid to begin with. I think anytime you get into, um... Anytime you get into uh, race, religion, politics, any of those things, you run the risk of um, saying or or opening up a box where it's just a headache. Like too many people on the planet, too many different races and religions, too many different political ideas to think that you're going to go out there and not ruffle somebody's feathers. Again, just make it simple for yourself, right? So I, I, it was dumb what he did. It was then even dumber to, to double down on it. Um, and then when you get suspended, hey, you got to accept it, which to his credit he has, and he issued the apology. But I think to require that you do X, Y, and Z before we even let you back. It's like, in reality, although what he did was dumb, all he did was post something. He didn't say anything. He never endorsed anything. And even in his own way, as annoying as it was, as arrogant as it was, he also never came out and sided with. He even said, I didn't promote anything. I just posted it. That's not promoting. Now he's wrong. Uh, In today's day and age, when you post something on social media that is perceived as a cosign because you are putting that on your page under your name. So what are we to think? Like, clearly, that's something that means something to you unless you post it and say, hey, this documentary is absolutely stupid. Or, hey, I don't agree with this documentary, but still an interesting watch. We've all done that, right? Like, I've watched documentaries that I don't agree with at all. Shoot, I watched Ancient Aliens for years. I don't agree with all that stuff. But, man, it's fascinating to watch, right? So for the Nets, I feel like that's 
an excessive requirement list of things to do in order just to come back and play. And then it hit me. Oh. They're trying to move off Kyrie. They want to get rid of Kyrie. I think at this point, it's been four years. It hasn't worked. They're paying him a boatload of money. It's been one problem after another, whether it was the weird leave of absence, whether it was the I might retire nonsense that was going on in the middle of the year, whether it was the not getting the vaccine versus getting the vaccine. Why can't I do this? Da, 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 whatever he was doing. And now it's this. I think the Nets have jumped on this as their opportunity to say this might be our way out. We might be able to get rid of this guy and not have to pay him. Because you can't just cut guys in the NBA because you got to pay them the money, right? So you try to trade them and have somebody else pick up the tab. But, you know, that's hard to do. Nobody's going to take Kyrie. And nobody's going to give you anything back of value for Kyrie because clearly you want to get rid of him because he's a massive headache. I think everyone's pretty much done with Kyrie. So what if the Nets said, let's make this penalty super harsh. Make it something that. It's going to be difficult for him to come back from and maybe he'll dig a bigger hole and then we can use this as our way out. Not a bad idea. Kind of sketchy and shady and kind of yucky. But hey, man, it's a business. So if, in fact, they are taking advantage of this opportunity and Kyrie Irving making this mistake, and let me reiterate, it was a mistake. It was a bad move, bad idea, stupid thing stupid to double down the way he handled it was absolutely wrong and and annoying and he probably made it harder for himself he could have just apologized right from the jump there's no there's 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 nothing wrong with apologizing man there's nothing wrong with saying hey i ingest everything i don't like to 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 view things from one perspective i like to take in every perspective in order for me to make a rational smart decision myself so I just ingest in everything and then filter it out and then blah, blah, blah. I don't agree with that stuff, but I just viewed it, blah, 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 whatever. That's fine. That's all you got to do, bro. There's nothing wrong with that. Even if you say, yo, to be honest with you, it sounded like a cool documentary. I posted it before I even watched it. I never even watched it. Like whatever the case might be, you could just say, my bad, yo. I didn't realize that. Because look, we've all seen something, right? Where we don't, where we might take it. Again, I think what they said was, if you are not Jewish, you may not understand certain things that they find offensive because you're not of that culture. And that is true. And it goes the same for every race. Uh, you know, um, you know, if you're black, like I'm half black, half white. So there's certain things that I'll experience or people will do that they don't find offensive to African-Americans or black people. But it is. But if you're not of that, then you don't really realize it. And so you might do something that's super offensive. But if somebody points it out to you, all you have to do is say, oh, my bad, I didn't realize. And 99% of people go, like, yo, don't worry about it. It's cool. I'm just letting you know, like, just going forward, just watch that. Right? Like, that's that's a real thing. So that was probably at play. But the way he handled it, again, trying to be enlightened and super smart and blah, blah, blah. And I'm bigger than every, like, we've talked about this enough. My whole point was... <laughs> My whole point was, I think the Nets are going to use this as a launching pad to kind of add to their folder or their file to say, we're getting rid of Kyrie. We don't need to pay him any money. We out to void the contract. Now, speaking of the Nets, the second part of that big deal four years ago that shook up the NBA world when uh, Kyrie Irving decided to go to Brooklyn was that he was also going to Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. Now, here here's my problem. Here's my problem. There's a lot of conversation now about 
how good is Kevin Durant or Kevin Durant's greatness or his legacy is in question because Golden State won a championship when he wasn't there and he hasn't done much with the Nets since. Here's what I'm going to say. Stop it. You're an idiot. If you're going to sit here and say Kevin Durant, how great is Kevin Durant because he can't win one on his own? Hey, Dodo Bird. Uh, if you're going to tell me that Steph is great and Clay is great and Draymond is great and LeBron lost to four Hall of Famers on the same team, then guess what? Steph's never won one by himself because he's always had Draymond and um, Clay Thompson as two Hall of Famers. Clay Thompson never won by himself because uh, Steph Curry and Draymond Green. And Draymond Green never won one by himself because he had Steph and Clay. So none of them have ever won it by themselves. So how great are any of them? Do you see how dumb that sounds? So Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, and the Warriors immediately became the favorite to win a championship. It was no question, no doubt. Nobody thought for a second, well, maybe it doesn't work. Everyone said, oh, no, 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 no. They're going to win a championship. How do you guard that team? And they proceeded to go out and dominate the league and win a championship easy. Then they came back the next year, and you said, yeah, they still got Durant, right? Yeah, they're going to win a championship. And then they went out and won another championship easy. And then they came back the next year and you said, listen, they're going to win as long as this team is together, as long as they're healthy. And guess what? Kevin Durant got hurt. But if Kevin Durant is healthy, do you think the Warriors lose to Toronto? The answer to that question is absolutely not. They beat Toronto, no questions asked, no one doubts that, because that's how great that team was. And that team wasn't that great and that dominant for any other reason other than Kevin Durant made that team undefeatable you couldn't beat that team in a seven game series it wasn't gonna happen that team was too loaded and Kevin Durant was a big part of that so now years later if you're gonna say well how great is he really well he was great enough that he signed with the Warriors and they would have won three straight championships and had he stayed there they'd still be the favorites guess what if Kevin Durant got traded to Golden State tomorrow Golden State is now the overwhelming favorite to win the championship no doubt about it that's how great he is you can't challenge someone's greatness or their legacy because they haven't won a championship quote-unquote on their own because everyone tells me oh no one could win it on their own everyone needs good players around them the, the the Lakers right now are hot garbage and all I keep hearing is oh they don't have any shooters blah 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 blah. all you have to do is surround LeBron with shooters and then you can win games okay well so if LeBron needs help and LeBron needs other players because that's what I hear every time that he loses why are you gonna sit there and make it seem like Kevin Durant is, is supposed to be the only player in NBA history to win a championship with a garbage team It's never happened. It's never happened. You sound like a moron. You sound like an idiot. Kevin Durant, how good is he really? If they won without him, the pressure's on KD. No, it ain't. Kevin Durant was the NBA Finals MVP. There was no doubt against the Cavs that Kevin Durant was the best player on the court. The best player. Steph Curry's great, and he's the best player on the Warriors until Kevin Durant showed up. And then it was like, oh, no, this is different. Kevin Durant can do things. He can do things Curry can. Curry might be a better three-point shooter consistently, but Kevin Durant nails threes, too. Kevin Durant could take it to the hole, too. Kevin Durant could block shots. Kevin Durant could get rebounds. Kevin Durant could do anything you want on the basketball court. Okay, don't don't sit down and get it twisted because when he goes to to the Nets, which is a 
dumpster fire, you're going to say, how good is he really? Put him on the Lakers and tell me if you don't think the Lakers are the favorites now to win a chip. Just like that. Just add Durant. That's it. You don't think they're the favorites? You're out of your mind. Put him on the Clippers. Are they the favorites? Of course they are. Put him on Golden State. Are they the favorites? Of course they are. Put him on Boston. Are they the favorites? Of course they are. Anywhere you put Kevin Durant, they become the favorite. If you put Kevin Durant on the Knicks right now, the Knicks are now the favorite to get to the NBA Finals. Maybe not win it, but to get there. That's how great he is. That's how you judge judge someone's greatness. Don't do this nonsense about, oh, they won a championship without him. How great is he really? Like, are you? they won the championship with him. Because he was dominant. They went and called him. Right? They lost a 3-1 lead and they ran out and they got him. And then they became the most unstoppable team. And a team that you would probably put up against any team in NBA history to say, hey, good luck. It's going to be a tough night. That's how great he is. Don't be an idiot. Don't get caught up in these stupid narratives or where people want to talk about, oh, how good is he? Uh, if the uh, What does it mean for KD's legacy if the Warriors win the championship? It means absolutely nothing. It means, hey, this team is really good. And if you put if you put Kevin Durant on a really good team, you get a team that's unbelievable. And those Warriors teams were unbelievable. They beat the Cavs 4-1 and 4-0. Bro, they were 8-1 and one in two NBA Finals. And the game, there was no question. And then against the Raptors, like, come on, man. You know if Kevin Durant is healthy in that series, the, you know they win. You know they win. Stop playing. Let me move on before I break something. Another thing that I want to talk about um, is... Oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to step back into this because I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Who knew, um, who knew that the person, the voice of reason was going to be Ben Askren, Ben Askren. (laughs) Um, so Ben Askren came out this week and started making comments, um, My bad, my bad. I got, I kind of got distracted. <laughs> um, so who knew that Ben Askren was going to be the one to come out with the voice of reason? And um, so what happened? Well, all right, all right. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place, right? I'm trying to find this article. That's what's happening. My my apologies. Not great radio. But I'm trying to find um, the exact quote, which I can't find right now because I'm recording and I don't want to have radio silence and all that other stuff. But what happened was that reports came out that the Anderson Silva Jake Paul fight did around 200,000 pay-per-view buys, which from... For Jake Paul, someone who raves about how he's changing boxing and I'm blah, 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 and I'm the king of boxing and I'm doing so much for the sport and I'm doing this and that, blah, 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 blah. I'm making money. 200000 is is pretty low. That's pretty unexciting, uneventful. Like, who cares? And most of that is probably from his fans he already has. And then some of it is probably from the MMA community who will purchase the fight to watch and see if their guy could, could get the dub. But what happened was he claims, and and by the way, this it sounds so bad, it sounds so stupid, 
it sounds absolutely insane, but he said it was because they had more sports options options. This time of year, there's football, there's basketball on, there the World Series was on that night, and there's more sports competition. So it's a lot harder to take people away from other things and blah blah blah. So he's exclusively gonna be a summertime fighter probably from now on. It's probably going to fight exclusively in the summer in that dead period where sports, where there's not much going on. Um, Jake, uh, if, hold on. Um, no, your fight sold 200000 because nobody really cares. Nobody cares anymore. If, if Canelo was fighting better BF the same night that you were, it, it would do more than 200,000 buys. If Ryan Garcia was fighting Tank Davis the same night that you were you had fought, it would do more than two hundred thousand. If uh, Terrence Crawford was fighting Errol Spence on that same night, it would do more than two hundred thousand. Nobody's no boxing fans, no hardcore fight fans are gonna watch the Houston Astros Phillies World Series over one of the great fights that could be made right now in boxing. It's not gonna happen. The truth is. If Jake Paul was fighting Canelo Alvarez on that same night, it would have done more than 200,000. If Jake Paul had been fighting someone who uh, excited the boxing community, or if he was fighting a legitimate boxer, someone who you felt like could really do some damage and would be a real test for Jake and how good he actually is as a boxer, it would have done more than 200,000. And it's not just me saying it. So Ben Askren came out this past week and they asked him about it. Um, And he said, the truth is, I don't think people are that interested anymore. I don't have the exact quote, but I'm going to paraphrase it. Essentially what he said was, people love to watch the story, the journey of somebody's career. But with Jake, it's like he's just kind of toiling in like an in a no man's land. Like he's fighting MMA guys, but he's not fighting boxers. He's not fighting for a championship. So it's almost like, well, what's the point? Like, what was the point of fighting Anderson Silva? Like that doesn't again, like I've been saying since the beginning of Jake Paul's rise, he's not any closer to a title fight. And if you're not going towards a title fight, then what's the point? Like, to me, that's the question I ask myself is, why am I going to watch Jake Paul fight? What is the point? If his next opponent is, in fact, Nate Diaz, which I think he's pushing for, the fight might do well because the lead up would be entertaining because those are two trash talkers, blah, 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 whatever. But if anyone is going to sit there and tell me they think that, you know, Nate Diaz, who's never boxed before, is going to go in there and beat Jake, you're an idiot. He's not going to. And in fact, his claim to fame is the fact that he could take so much punches and so much damage. Like maybe Jake doesn't hurt him. Fine. But Jake is going to beat the hell out of him for eight rounds then. And this is a guy who's never who's never been in that discipline in the way that Jake has. And he's not working with the coaches that Jake is. And he doesn't have that system that already in play. Like, he's going to lose. Jake Paul is going to beat the dog snot out of Nate Diaz. It's uninteresting. And you know who knows that? Fight fans. Boxing fans. The people that you want to watch your pay-per-views, Jake, know that you're going to beat Nate Diaz. So there's no interest in watching that. And again, if he beats Nate Diaz, what does that mean? Nothing. 
He still has yet to fight a boxer who possesses the same level of skill that he does. Now, you're going to throw out Anderson Silva, and that's fine. But Anderson Silva was 47 years old. If you don't beat Anderson Silva, that says more about you than it does Anderson Silva. You should have won. I think we all agreed. Uh, me, me and my brother were texting the day of and said, any chance uh, Silva wins tonight? No, no way. I thought he was going to get knocked out. Too old. But again, I didn't think it was in question. I didn't think that he would he would beat Jake Paul. Jake Paul's not a great boxer. Jake Paul's probably not even a good boxer. He's okay at this point, And that's where he should be. But... Again, even like the point for me is, oh, let me get back to what Ben Askren said, because I'm going off on my own rant. But what I really wanted to highlight what was what Ben Askren was saying, which was, I think because he's not working towards an end game, it's kind of just events for events sake. It's kind of just fighting for fighting sake. It's kind of just like these one off special events people get tired of that and don't really want to follow that because there's no storyline. There's no through line to follow. And I thought that it was incredible for him to say that because that's how I was feeling. But he just said it in a way more intelligent, like easy to understand way that doesn't sound ranty. And for me, that's exactly what it is. Like I've said from the beginning, what Jake Paul is doing on paper is amazing. I think it's awesome. I think a guy who comes to it a little later, discovers that he loves it, starts doing it and takes it serious, dedicates his life to it and is trying to fight for a championship is a great story and it's something to follow and it's something that I would follow. But what he's doing is just kind of drifting. He's kind of staying, he's found this pool, which is I can make money because what I'm going to do is fight guys who are respected and in the fight community, imagine that, fight community, they're big names, so they have a fan base coming in, and I can box them where I have the advantage, I'm going to win, I could then talk trash as being great, they lose, but I'm beating names, so I can always say my resume is impressive, and then hopefully one day a guy like Canelo will choose to fight me because there's enough hype around me, and then I'll take that fight cash out, and then I could be done. Or take that fight, win, cash out, and then I'm done, and now I'm a legend. And it's like, yeah, but we can't, we can't, as a as a boxing fan, we can't follow that storyline. We can't support that. Because what we like is we like guys who work their way into a position, which is why you'll hear guys like, oh, like even Canelo will say, like, who have you fought? Who have you beat? What have you done to deserve a shot at my title? There's, there's quali- you got to qualify for this. And Jake Paul is not qualifying for anything. And I think that Ben Askren pointed it out. I think his pay-per-view numbers are dropping because no one's really interested in the matchups. I think the UFC community is like, oh, could, could he really beat Anderson Silva? Anderson Silva is so experienced, blah, 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 blah. It's only interesting if you still believe that Jake Paul is just a YouTuber who trains for eight weeks to box and then that's it. If you believe, like I believe, like Jake Paul is telling you, like everyone who knows Jake Paul is telling you that he trains constantly, like he is dedicated to this. He's taking it very serious. Well, then him fighting a novice boxer is not interesting because you you should win. It started out as Jake Paul being the underdog. Like, yeah. And then as it got closer to the fight, they started to flip it because everyone was like, yeah, Jake Paul's going to win. And then he became the favorite. And then he won. And it's like, it's, it's amazing what he did. The biggest win of his life. Like, okay, that's that says a lot about you. 
if your biggest win is a 47 year old guy who was in MMA for 20 years, <laughs> like that's crazy. But can I just say that Ben, both Ben Askren and uh, to a lesser extent, um, Tyron Woodley have both been amazing since losing to Jake Paul. And I think the cool thing is when Ben Askren lost the, the main like, narrative online was oh he he should be embarrassed blah 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 how do you lose to that da 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 but he literally came back right after and was like hey man he caught me with a good shot like hey kudos to him and i think what you realize is real fighters understand that losses happen and they understand that when you're in the ring like some like whatever like it's not a big deal i lost a fight like dudes on the internet make it seem like you got to run and hide. Like, yo, he lost. Like, so what? It's not that big a deal. Like, losses happen. Like, it's cool. And that's the difference between someone who really fights and someone who's not really committed to the sport of or, or the idea of fighting. Because Jake Paul would look at it almost like if I lose, if I get knocked out, if I get turned into a meme, it's over. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, if you love this, what are you talking about? Like, Deontay Wilder lost and got knocked out in glorious fashion by Tyson Fury. And then just came back. And no one's like, oh, he shouldn't fight anymore. He lost. Like, it's like, no, losses happen. It's cool. It's fine. But that's, again, that's just the difference between fighters, real fight fans, and stupid trolls on the internet who were just fans of Jake Paul and think Jake Paul's cool because he's winning. Well, we'll see what happens when he loses. But again, I'll ask the question like I did last week. If Jake Paul is only generating 200,000 pay-per-view buys, then what is he really doing for boxing? What's he really doing, honestly? I'll let you decide. So I want to move real quick. This probably should have been a quick hit, but I, I don't know how long it'll take me to really dive into this. Um, Hendon Hooker, the quarterback for Tennessee... Going into the Georgia game, there was a lot of conversation about Hendon Hooker has played himself into a first round, the first round of the draft. And immediately I said, oh, here we go. Another guy who everyone going into the year, no one cared about, no one thought was any good. And now he's having a good season and now he's a first round pick. And I was furious. So as I'm prepping my show notes, I went and I looked up his stats and I said, let me see what this guy was doing before. And I was like, I bet you he was trash, and now he's having a good year. And then uh, I saw the numbers. <laughs> and no, no, the guy's good. The guy's good. He puts up good numbers. He always has. But that still brought me to the same point of if if the guy is good enough to be drafted in the first round now, after the season he's having, why wasn't he good enough going into the season? And if you didn't think he was capable, why didn't you think he was capable? And what has changed? Like, like, all right. So I know everyone's going to look at me and say, well, how can you say that? But you love Joe Burrow. Because going into that last season with LSU, I thought Joe Burrow was capable of everything he's doing now. I thought Joe Burrow, I'll, I'll keep saying it, I thought at Ohio State he was capable of all of that. I don't think it was ever a question of his ability to play or his talent. Or his arm talent or accuracy or anything. I don't think anything of that was ever a question. 
I think what's starting to come to light now and what people are starting to what I'm starting to realize is that the draft community and the draft guys and the so-called experts do base a lot of their opinions and grades on actual stats and results rather than just sheer talent. And that's where we differ. See, if you thought Hendon Hooker was a third round quarterback, you, you can't make that assumption or assertion based off of stats. You must have seen something in his arm, talent, his abilities, accuracy, whatever. And is his accuracy so much better this year that you're like, oh, he got better in the offseason? Or is he just having a better year stats-wise? So after the Alabama Alabama game, they said he played himself into the first round. And now he's going against Georgia, an NFL-level defense, so they say. Uh, NFL's still far superior, but whatever. Um, that's the old idea. Could Alabama beat the Jaguars? Like, no, it wouldn't happen. Sorry. Uh, but he's going against a real defense, a real tough test, and we'll see what he does. And then he kind of flamed out. So now my question is, is he not a first-round pick anymore because he didn't produce? And if that is the case, then you are basing it solely on stats and numbers and not based on his actual ability to play. And I just think it's so annoying to me. And you know what? I'm going to lead the charge of... Um, grading guys not based on their stats like watch a guy play and ignore the numbers and tell me how good he is and tell me how good you think he could be based on what you see his ability is and I'll say that like that's the thing for me with Justin Fields I think Justin Fields is really good as far as ability I think if you put him with the right coach I think you will see that but his ability is there so if we're if we're grading off of ability, yes, Justin Fields was worthy of that pick because his ability says I have the ability to be X. If I get the right coaching, if I'm put in the right situation, I could be X. Now there's some guys like again, we'll go back. Tim Tebow, I don't care where you put Tim Tebow, he was never gonna amount to anything as a quarterback because he didn't have the ability. There are certain guys that have the ability, like Taylor Heineke is what he is no matter where you put him. Like, that's his ability. That's his ceiling. A guy like uh, um, uh, Brian Hoyer. Is it Brian Hoyer? Patriots backup. He, he, that's his max. Jacoby Brissett. Like, how good can he be? You've seen it. No matter where he goes, that's as good as he, that's his ability level. And then there's guys like Patrick Mahomes who are incredibly talented He's got a high ceiling. Do you understand what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying, right, about the ability. of what. So if Hendon Hooker is good enough ability-wise to say, hey, if he goes to the right situation, he could be really good in the NFL, well, then he deserves the first-round pick. But if you're telling me, hey, I don't think he's that good, but then he came into this year and, whoa, he got so much better. No, he didn't. He's just having a better season, putting up better stats, and you're falling for it. I'm calling you out, draft guys. I'm calling you out, draft experts. Listen. I'm going to start keeping tabs. This year, look, last year I did the grades on the quarterbacks and I was like, eh, whatever. I didn't really keep no notes. And I don't even remember what episode it was in. <laughs> so I want, I so badly want to go back and review what I said about the quarterbacks coming out and see if they match what's actually happening. But I, I don't have the notes, man. I throw away the pages. But this starting this year, I'm keeping it. I'm keeping tabs of everything and I'm going to have by the time I'm 50, I'm going to have years of like quarterback grades and, and scouting reports and all that. So this year, stay tuned. This is going to be this is going to be a big year for all that stuff. But that's all I'm saying. 
I have a problem with grading guys and judging guys based off of results instead of based off ability because you can be an excellent quarterback in a bad situation and not look good. And then as soon as you go to a good situation, you look better and people think you got better all of a sudden. No, you didn't. You were just in a better situation that allowed you to use your skills. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Oh, man, I'm trying not to get fired up. Oh, this is the point in the show where I do want to take some time to talk about Ohio State and the college football rankings. Okay, so I started off the show by saying I I was about to get mad because there was a lot of conversation about Michigan should jump Ohio State in the rankings this year. I mean, not this year, this week. And I said, that's dumb. Okay, and I, I said, go back to what is the point? What's the end game? The end game is to get the four best teams in the college football playoff. Do you think, (laughs) do you think, here's the question, do you think national championship game, Ohio State versus Georgia, do you think Michigan has a better chance of beating Georgia than Ohio State? The answer is no. Actually, the answer is hell no. You don't think Michigan has a shot in hell to beat Georgia. You don't. Ohio State, on the other hand, they might. Because they got the offense to put the pressure on them, you think, because they got the passing game, they got all the great receivers, they got the the two running backs, blah, 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 da, 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 whatever it is, you think you would you would give Ohio State a better chance to beat Georgia than than Michigan. Let's be honest, Michigan's flawed. I know Michigan's undefeated. I know that they won 52 to 17, but come on, they played Rutgers, bro, and they struggled early in that game. Stop. Ohio State played Northwestern, who was dog do. I get it. But they were in a crazy weather game. And let's be honest. The game didn't look good. It was terrible. The Ohio State game was terrible. And we'll get into them in a second. But I want to I want to finish this first. They didn't look good. It was a really bad game. And every team has those. And I know you're going to say, oh, well, the week before it was 21-7. to They should have won by more. And it's like, sure, I guess. Like, it, it wasn't close. Like... I know the score may have indicated one thing. Oh, no, I'm, th- I'm I'm bugging. The week before was the Penn State game, right? And that game was closer than you thought it should be. They had to pull away late, blah, blah, blah. And then the week before that was Iowa. They kind of struggled against Iowa. And you're like, ooh, maybe they're not that good. Maybe. Or, or maybe, like a lot of teams, they might be in that point in the season where they're getting to the end. They're, they're playing these dog-do teams. And maybe they're kind of like not quite getting up for it the same i said against uh ruckers that i didn't like the way they played because i felt like they played kind of like arrogant and lazy and like ah whatever we got this and didn't really um play as hard or aggressive as i thought they could i don't think they came out and to step on their throat so maybe that's what it is maybe it literally is as simple as man we're in northwestern the weather's terrible we can't throw it they know we're gonna try to run it they're loading up against the run and whatever is whatever is whatever is whatever right but either way, it's just a bad game. On the neutral field in Arizona, do you not think Ohio State is one of the best offenses in the country? Do you think they're going to have a problem throwing a ball in a nice weather stadium in the national championship? No. All right, then. And if you put Michigan in a nice weather weather stadium, uh, what are they going to do? The same thing they always do. They're going to try to run the ball. And if I can stop your run, hey, Michigan, you're going to have a hard, 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 hard night. Like, that's it. So they're not better than Ohio State. 
you don't think that Michigan is better than Ohio State. And if you say, well, right now they should go in because they were more impressive last week. Like if at the end of the day, you, you're going to put Ohio State over them if they're both undefeated. And if Ohio State beats them and you say, yeah, they deserve whatever, we think Ohio State's better. But so let's stop posturing. Let's stop saying, well, let's make a top four of what we think right now. But we don't think this team is better. But we think we have to put them in there because they're undefeated. No, stop. Put the four best teams in the top four slots. Stop. And if you don't think Michigan is better than Ohio State, then don't rank them higher just because you want to make it look good because you think we let's give credit where credit is due. They beat Rutgers. Come on. Everybody beats Rutgers. <laughs> Rutgers is trash. Stop. Man. But let's get let's actually talk about Ohio State now. Okay, now that you got me fired up. Let's talk about Ohio State. Am I concerned? Yes and no. Yes, because the problems with the running game are legit. Like they are having a difficult time running the ball and their passing game is suffering for it. But am I worried? No, because Travion Henderson was injured. He was hurt. I think he provides a different element for Mayan Williams. I think I think early in the year, Mayan Williams uh, was in a great situation because you had Travion Henderson, who was the fast scat back. And then you had uh, Mayan Williams, who was the big bruiser, who would come in there and was a little faster than you thought, but also was bigger than you thought and was able to kind of punish guys late and get a bunch of big runs. I think when you have to put it all on Mayan Williams, you see, oh, okay, he's not a lead dog. He's a great compliment change of pace guy. I think you need Travion Henderson back. And I think he's coming back. I don't think he's done for the year. I think that makes a difference because I think he's a guy that can take, it makes something out of nothing. Um, when he's, when he's doing his thing. So that's number one. So I think that's legit. I think that's a legit thing. So I'm not really, I'm not too concerned because I think over the course of a season, you'll kind of see it start to play out and it'll kind of even itself out a bit. But on the other side of that, I'm also a little worried because ah, that word, that tough word is going to come up. And they're going to talk about their toughness and their ability to push guys around and push teams out the way and do all that stuff. I don't think they're lacking that. I think they just have to be reminded. To be honest with you, when I watch Ohio State play, they look like they're bored. Right? They look like they come in there, just swagged out, blah, blah, blah. We Ohio State, we got this, we got this, we got this. And then they get in the game, things aren't going well, and they seem like, oh, uh, well, I mean we'll figure it out. And then there's like a lack of urgency there. Like, look, I never thought they were going to lose to Northwestern. I never thought there, there was no doubt in my mind that they were going to win that game. I don't think they were ever in danger of not winning that game. Uh, in fact, the only touchdown Northwestern scored, you know, if you watched the replay, there was a massive hold and it should have been called back anyway. Uh, so the idea is, am I concerned? Yes. And no, I'm concerned because the running game is a concern. Uh, you know, because, you know, it's not looking great, but I'm not concerned at the same time because I also understand, hey, they've had some injuries. Um, I don't think so. I, I trust this coaching staff to get it done, to put it together, to come out. And look, I'm going to tell you right now, I'll tell you my picks. You know, let's go right into picks. So I'll start off with my picks. I'll start off with Ohio State over Indiana. I think Ohio State gets back, uh, back on track today. I think Ohio State smashes Indiana. 
I think they look like Ohio State again. I think they remind everybody that they're Ohio State. I think that offense is high-flying again. I think C.J. Stroud goes right back to number one for the Heisman this year. Um, I think all of that this week. I think the conversation is going to be, oh, no, they're going to beat Michigan. I think that. I think everything's right back to where it was uh, before the last couple weeks. I think, that's what's, I think this is a get-back week for Ohio State. I think all week at practice, the thought is let's dominate. And I think they do. I think they win big over Indiana. Um, look, Ole Miss is playing Alabama. And I'm taking Ole Miss, and here's why. Um, I just think Alabama, again, first of all, they're having difficulty stopping the run. Guys, the teams are running all over them. But I also just think, like I said, man, every couple of years, they have a year where they got a bunch of new guys coming in, and it's going to take them a while to kind of figure it out. And they'll win games, and they're good. They're good for sure, but they're not dominant. And I think once that mystique is gone, and I think Ole Miss is one of those teams where Lane Kiffin hasn't beaten Nick Saban yet. He really wants to. I think they're going to run the ball. I think they're going to hit some big plays. I think they're going to kick Alabama while they're down. And I think they get the win this week over Alabama. Uh, I'm taking UCF to beat Tulane. Look, neither one of these teams, in my opinion, are, are great. None of them are like, oh, watch out for them. But uh, it's it's a ranked matchup. <laughs> so I'm picking UCF. Uh, Florida State, I'm picking them to beat Syracuse. Syracuse, which started off so well, so hot. Such a great story. And then they fell apart. Uh, so two teams that started off good and fell apart. I like Florida State to beat Syracuse. And I also like Florida State to get back into the top 25 this week with the dub. Um, look, TCU versus Texas. I'm going to be honest with you. Last week, I picked Kansas State to beat Texas. And I did that primarily because I've picked Texas a lot this year and they failed. And I've picked against Kansas State and they failed me. And they've, they've won when I wanted them to lose. So I figured, you know what? Pick Kansas State. They're at home. Somehow they keep doing it. They'll do it again. And they didn't. <laughs> so Texas this week, again, like I said, Texas is capable of coming out and being really good or throwing up a stinker. TCU, on the other hand, is ranked in the top four and they're good. They're a good, good team. Now, for whatever reason, Texas is favored in this game. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm taking TCU. I've picked against TCU. I've seen them play. I think they play. I think they're one of those teams that is just a quiet, good football team. No flash, no pizzazz, no nothing. They just play hard, play discipline, play well. They're kind of like, um, like, uh, like Wisconsin used to be like that. They used to just play hard and win some games and whatever. So TCU, I'm taking them to beat Texas. I know that Texas has the capability to play well, but I think going on the road to Kansas State last week was a big win for them. I think this week... TCU comes in, gets the job done. Texas puts up a stinker. Moving to the NFL, um, the Falcons are favored by three over the Panthers for Thursday night. Uh, I'm taking the Falcons. I think the Panthers are bad. I think Baker Mayfield is bad. I think the Falcons are bad too, but what the hell? Like, I'd like... I'll take Mariota over Baker Mayfield. <laughs> and I think anytime I think Baker last week came in and played well. I think if Baker's starting this week, I think he goes right back to what he always is. And I don't think Baker Mayfield is very good. I don't. Uh, again, this is two bad teams on Thursday night, short week. I'm taking the team that has a little better 
roster who hasn't seemed like they've completely thrown in the towel for this year. I'll take the Falcons by three. The Bills are going against the Vikings. The Bills are favored by six. I'm taking the Bills. I think uh, the Vikings coming off a big win. I think the Bills coming off of an embarrassing loss. I think they lock back in. I think they come out. I think they rise to the occasion of playing the Vikings, who was a really good team. And I think they rise up to the challenge. They play a little more discipline, a little more focus. I think they get the dub, eat the six points. I like the Bills. Uh, The Packers and the Cowboys, interesting game. Cowboys at this point are favored by five. Uh, I'm I'm taking the points. I'm taking the Packers and the points. I, I think the Cowboys win, but if there's one thing I've seen throughout my life is that the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason, always seem to get to the Cowboys. They they do. They've made me miserable many, 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 many times. Five is too big of a number. I know the Packers are down in the dumps. I know they look like trash. I know the Cowboys have a legit defense, legit front seven, a good secondary. I know that. I know all of that, but it's still the Packers. It's still Aaron Rodgers against the Cowboys. I like the Cowboys to win, all right? The Cowboys will win, but it'll be closer than five. So I'm taking the Packers and the points. I'll take the five points in the Packers. Chargers playing 49ers. Uh, 49ers are favored by seven. Um, And I've been getting asked a lot of questions from Sixers break room about whether or not I think that my ranking of Justin Herbert and the league's ranking of Justin Herbert is uh, premature to, to crown him as a top quarterback. And I say, absolutely not. I think Justin Herbert is still, in my opinion, the second best quarterback in the NFL. I think he is immensely talented. And I think every game he's going to make two or three throws that make you say, holy cow, and make you want to rewind it and say, how did he do that? I think that's a given. That being the case, 49ers, good defense, but Christian McCaffrey, they're kind of dangerous offensively. But like again, like they already had a good running game, so I don't really know if that matters. Um, I like the Chargers to win this game. I think it's a big time game. I think they win it, and also I'll take the Chargers in the seven. Uh, the Commanders and the Eagles. Eagles are favored by eleven at this point. I'm sure that might come down before Sunday, but as of right now, when I'm making the pick, just know the spread is eleven. And I've been picking the high spreads, the heavy spreads for weeks. Now, I picked two of them yesterday. On uh, Not yesterday. On Sunday, I picked two wide spreads like that. Uh, and I'm not doing it no more. <laughs> there used to be an old saying like, in the NFL, if it's 10 plus points, take the points. But this year, I was like, nah, nah, like the Steelers suck. They're going to do it. I picked the Eagles uh, by 13 over uh, the Texans, and they couldn't cover um, and I picked the Bills over the Jets by 13. They couldn't cover. So I'm not doing it. I think the Commanders with Taylor Heineke are a really tough team. I think they're a better team. I think they're more disciplined. I think they're more dangerous. I like the Commanders to... I'm not going to pick them to win, although I think they could. I think the Eagles... I think this is going to be a tough week for them. I think the uh, the Commanders' defensive line is really good. It always it has been for a while. So I think they're going to create fits in the running game for the Eagles, and I think it's going to be more in Jalen Hurts this week, and I think they're going to be able to get some pressure, kind of similar to what the Texans did. But I don't know if the Commanders have enough to win, but they will be within 11 points. So I'll take the Commanders in the points. That's my time, y'all. Look... I appreciate all the love and support. I appreciate you coming back this week and joining me. Uh, I know the last couple weeks, man, I've had you guys here for a long time, right? Like, sheesh. 
It's been a while. Um, we're going to try to get back to under an hour. I don't know. Do y'all like the longer episodes? Uh, let me know. Hit me up online. Uh, follow me on all social media platforms at cyber underscore pod. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. Hit me up. Let me know if you like the longer episodes. Do you want to get back to the shorter episodes? Let me let me know. Just interact. Um, this week, uh, during the um, Cowboys game and the Ohio State game, I will be uh, live tweeting that. So follow me on there. Again, it's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. That's cyber underscore pod on all social media platforms. Check me out there. Look, we'll be back next week with another great episode. I appreciate y'all. Listen, bet responsibly. Uh, check my record, okay? If you want to get you some money, okay? If you want to look smart in the office, uh, you could copy my picks. You could tell them what my picks are, and then we're going to write it. Look, I got a feeling this week's going to be another good week as far as picks go. So it, we'll be back next week. And look, uh, next week, uh, I took my flowers this week. Next week, if I have another good week, I'm coming back for more. If I have a bad week, eh, we'll pretend like it didn't happen. <laughs> I'll see y'all next week.